0: Hey Abhirup, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Hi, hi. Uh, good to have you, Abhirup, today. Uh, so, guys, Abhirup is uh, the founder at, co-founder at Velocity, and he's been a uh, before this he's been an investor at uh, Elevation Cap as well as a founder at Task Bob. So he's been through multiple sides of the table. So Abhirup, if you can give us a quick, uh, you know, uh, oh, you know, idea of your journey so far, you know, how's it been across both sides of table.
1: Sure. No, absolutely, Nitya. Thanks for hosting me and excited to be here. Uh, So I started my career uh, close to a decade back with McKinsey & Company as a management consultant. Where I worked mostly in financial services, I was serving banks and private NBFCs in India. Uh, And that led to a very good understanding of banking in India. Uh, I left that to start my first company, which was Forb. We were aggregating local service providers uh, and we had started this in 2015. Uh, which were early days of this market, right? So we built it for two years. There, I was uh, leading a lot of our efforts across marketing, growth, and a bunch of business functions. also uh, learned a lot about digital marketing, burned my fingers there in multiple ways, and learned it the hard way. Uh, and when that didn't work out, I ended up joining SAF Partners, which is now called Elevation Capital. Uh, at Elevation, I was back in financial services. I was investing primarily in fintech startups. Uh, and that led to a great understanding of everything new age which was happening in financial services. Uh, and then I was feeling the edge again to start up and I saw the gap that, you know, there is this big gap to capital, even for like a new age company with transparent data and transparent cash flows. And to solve that gap is when we started Velocity in early 2020. So, so that has been close to a decade of journey for me. Interesting.
0: And Abhirup, let's zoom in a little and, you know, understand how did Velocity happen? Like, you know, you, you, you mentioned about the financing gap. Uh, yeah. right new age companies etc so how did you yeah. sort of see this you know come up with this idea etc how did velocity exactly happen and your previous yeah. experiences do, did they also lead you to sort of you know where you are what
1: you're building at velocity no absolutely niche i think uh, it's it's a very clear joining the dots for me so i think uh, i uh, i saw that you know uh, companies are raising capital diluting their equity without really realizing that equity is actually very valuable and it's expensive to keep on diluting your equity to fund your business. right? Now, uh, you should use equity as a source of capital when you are uh, taking a big risk, right? when you are unclear of uh, what the outcomes would be. And hence, it is worthwhile uh, trying to raise that risk capital. Uh, but what I observed was that a lot of companies are raising uh, capital for deploying that money in marketing and in inventory. right? Uh, and that was just a very expensive way to fund the basic working capital cycle of the business. Uh, and that's what led to the understanding that you know, uh, why are they doing it? Why are they not really uh, able to, to, to raise capital through non-dilutive means? Uh, and that's when I observed that there is this big wave of tech first companies, digital first companies being started in India, which is not well understood by banks on one hand. And VCs will probably fund a very few portion of them. And mm-hmm. even that funding is not the right source of funding for most of their needs. Right. Uh, so that was a big gap. And I figured that a lot of these companies are actually generating healthy revenues which a third party can track through API integrations. Uh, yes. And that's what led to the concept of revenue-based financing. That, you know, if a company is generating revenues, which yes. I as a third party can track and verify that, you know, these are actually the revenues which the business is generating. Then they should be able to get capital against that. That's the biggest asset which a company can has, which banks don't really know how to value. Uh, and that's what led to us starting velocity. Uh, we were very clear that, you know, we are going to be focused on the segment of new-age businesses. Uh, because that's where the data is very transparently available uh, and uh, and I think it's been quite a ride so over the course of last two years we have built a portfolio of close to uh, 300 companies in the e-commerce and D2C kind of space yes. which is bigger than any other VC's portfolio in the country right so uh, yes. we work with these companies across multiple cycles and we keep on supporting their growth capital needs so that has been the journey of building velocity. Interesting,
0: Abhirup. So you're saying that, you know, uh, basically, you know, you either raise a sort of a risk capital from a VC, right? If you are doing a moonshot bet or otherwise, you, know, you have growth capital and these new options where, you know, you have yeah. these alternative options. That's how, you know, how, that's how you would break down and, you know, for founders as well, you know, if you're planning sure. to raise the
1: kind of capital as well. Available. So- I can actually share a more comprehensive view on that. So it is true mm-hmm. that, you know, in case you are uh, taking a moonshot bet, you need like heavy upfront investment, which uh, may or may not pay out in the long term, then it it makes sense to, to try and raise equity capital for that. Uh, in case you need capital for your working capital needs, which are basically your inventory, your marketing spends, etc. Everything which is a part of your direct costs, then mm-hmm. it is much better to to raise revenue-based financing through a platform like Velocity uh, because you you get to retain control on the company and you also mm-hmm. build that discipline of Trying to raise capital and then paying it back over time and then raising again, etc. Uh, in case you need capital for capex, in case, for example, you need to invest money in plant and machinery, or acquiring some assets. Then banks will also provide you uh, capital against that. Uh, yes. Because banks do understand asset-based financing. That's a capability that they've built over multiple decades. So, yeah. in case you need capital for plant and machinery or any sort of assets, which bank understand, bank would be a good source of capital for that.
0: Interesting, interesting. And so, Abhirup, for someone to be able to raise growth capital or revenue based capital, right, uh, do they need to sort of have, you know, be profitable, sort of, you know, what kind of company they need to be, right, to be able to look at these options? Because then you have to pay back that capital as well, you know, across cycles. Sure, sure.
1: So, so see, I think uh, we we definitely like profitable companies because uh, they are extremely capital efficient and they are essentially raising capital not for their survival but for driving the growth in the business, right? So definitely I think profitable businesses are good, but that's not a hard constraint for us at Velocity. Uh, what we look for is, we understand the unit economics of the business, and we build a point of view on the fact that are they really making money at a unit level or not? It is possible that they have some overheads, but as long as their contribution margin positive, we believe that with some growth, they can get to profitability. And we are happy to fund companies of that nature also, uh, which may not be profitable today, but if they grow, then they will become profitable.
0: Got it. So then are you saying that, you know, should companies focus on, you know, building positive cash flows and then, you know, look at, you know, say, okay, you know break-even and then profitability. That's how, is is that the sort of way to build a sort of enduring, you know, sustainable business? What's the best way to do that?
1: Well, uh, it's actually different things for different types of businesses that can exist, right? Uh, And I can take a few examples to explain that. Uh, I believe that in case you are building, let's say, a D2C or an e-commerce business, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, then the ideal approach in my opinion is to basically start in a bootstrap fashion. Uh, ensure that you are making some experiments to figure out the right product for the customer, figure out the right marketing channel, figure out the marketing efficiency. At that phase, you can also raise some angel money. Uh, that is fine because that will allow you to make those experiments, give you some leeway on that. Once mm-hmm. you have figured out a playbook that, you know, this is my product, this is my segment, this is my marketing channel, this is my suppliers, etc. And, and you have figured out a repeating, a good, repeatable cycle for your business, then revenue-based financing is a great way to accelerate that cycle. Uh, you can infuse capital into the business, you can pump that money into your marketing, into your inventory, etc. and you can rapidly grow the business. And then eventually, you can take it to profitability or you can raise equity capital also if you want, uh, based upon how you want to expand the business across multiple categories. right? Uh, but we have seen a lot of journeys like this happening in which uh, people have followed this journey to great outcomes uh, and I think that's the ideal uh, way, in my opinion, uh, to build a D2C kind of a business. But in case, for example, you are building a different type of business, in case, for example, you are building a marketplace or you're building any business with network effects, right? then uh, the implication is that you will need to invest heavily to build the network initially. You will not really be able to like get to, to profitability in the near term and that would require heavy investment upfront. So if you are building that kind of a business, then you will need large amount of capital that will give you the wherewithal to build like a good network initially, which will make your business enduring uh, over time, right? So to, to talk about one example in that space, I think my previous company Taskbar was a business like that, in which you were essentially building a network of households and the service providers. And to build that network, you have to invest in both sides of the marketplace, which, which will require heavy upfront investment. And hence a company which is sort of broken out of the, uh, I think 50 odd companies got started in that space. Mm-hmm. Israel, which was like extremely aggressive at fundraise. Yeah. Uh, within one or two years, they had raised like 25-30 million dollars. And that really allowed them to build a much bigger and denser network compared to anyone else.
0: Okay, In- interesting, Abhiru. So, you know, just taking a you know sort of a, a side turn here. Uh, so you know, uh, you mentioned about you know Task bob urban clap, both of these. So you're saying that you know, sort of in in these kind of markets, right? Is it just winner take all, right? The one which raises the largest round, you know, ends up winning the market, or can you also be, you know, someone? Someone can also be like a cap- capital efficient business in those kind of markets as well, and still win the bet? Uh, you know, what what do you think about that? What's your take on you know network effects and you know high risk businesses like those? Sure.
1: So see, I think there are niches which which can be carved out even in in places like those, right? So, for Mm -hmm. example, uh, while urban club or Taskbar were trying to build like a country-wide network in which uh, you sort of build the most efficient way for people to get these home services at home in a high-quality, reliable, and time-bound kind of a fashion, uh, that is a scale game. So, the bigger your network becomes, the denser it becomes at a hyper-local level, the better the customer experience keeps on getting, right? So, that becomes very difficult to change. Uh, But in case someone wants to build a business in that, it is still uh, very much possible to build a profitable business. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can, for example, pick up a niche customer segment. Uh, you can, for example, pick up like HNIs in India, right? And yeah. then you can build a focused home services based solution for them. And that yeah. can become a profitable business. You will differentiate on the quality, on the kind of customer experience, on the kind of, in case, for example, you're talking about a service like home cleaning, on the kind of cleaning products that you're using, the techniques being used, the way people are trained, etc. You can create mm-hmm. differentiators like that. And for that niche, you can be a much better experience compared
0: to Urban graph. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. And Abhirup, so you know, uh, on on Task Bob, right? You you sort of six seven years back, you raised. You know a large series a round right five six yeah. million that that was yeah. a pretty large sum back then today maybe yeah. you know it's it's a common you know fairly common it's a round today, I think.
1: <laughs> yes
0: yes yes yeah. so you know considering that you yeah. raised a large series a etc right uh, and you know sort of uh, what were some of the mistakes and learnings that you had from task Orb and which yeah. you would want to share with other founders as well right what they can avoid and what you've also learned and applied at velocity Uh, we'd love to hear from those as well. No, absolutely. I think
1: there's so many of them that I can write a book on it which I think I'll write when I have some more time. Uh, But I think uh, so if I have to talk about the top three learnings which and I think all of them we are building upon as we build velocity right now. I think the first one is to not hire too quickly especially if you are pre-product market fit. Uh, Mm -hmm. So uh, when you are pre-product market fit then your entire focus should be to keep the team lean and to iterate rapidly to get to product market fit. Uh, once you get there, then obviously you can uh, try and ramp up your hiring and that will drive growth. But in case you get too many people uh, before product market fit phase, they don't really help you get to product market fit faster. right? So over uh, overhiring uh, before product market fit is a mistake which needs to be avoided. And I think we have been extra cautious of that at Velocity. Uh, when we started, I think even though we have been pretty well capitalized since early days at Velocity also, uh, we have been a very lean team. and. Uh, The entire team has been very hands-on. We have been very close to our customers. We have been taking feedback and acting on the product rapidly. And now I think as we are post-product market fit now, now we are at a phase where we are expanding the team rapidly. And I think that is actually going to help the business growth. So that is one. Uh, The second one, I think, uh, which is a key learning for me, is that distribution is as important as product, if not more. Uh, So uh, at Tasmo, for example, we were extremely focused on building a high-quality product building a great customer experience, which is great, right? All the founders do that. But what we did not innovate enough on was on how to uh, take that product to our customers, right? how to distribute it. If you basically rely on commoditized channels like Google and Facebook ads, uh, then that could also become very competitive very quickly. And a player which has uh, more capital, uh, they will be able to muscle you out of that, right? So you need to build your own distribution channels. You need to ensure that you, know, uh, you are... Even if you have a great product, but you don't have distribution, it is not a winning strategy. So that's very important. And I think third one uh, is to also think about your investors as really long-term partners. uh, And basically these are long-term relationships which are very difficult to get out of, right? So you should evaluate investors also in the same way. Uh, uh, Typically first-time founders don't really do that. They, uh, so investors obviously do a lot of diligence in a startup. I think uh, founders should also do an equal amount of diligence on the investors. Uh, and build a point of view that, you know, is this really the partnership that you want to be in for the next 8 to 10 years or not, right, because it's it's a, it's a an irreversible call once you take it, right, and hence yeah. you should be very sure of who you are taking on the cap table, it is even more important than the kind of valuation or the kind of amount of capital that you are raising, the, the kind of investors and your alignment is also equally if not more important.
0: Interesting. I, I love the second one, Abhirup, where you're saying that, you know, you sort of try and innovate on the distribution channel and the, you know, sort of, you know, traction channels, right? Which you want to go yeah. after. Because if you're relying primarily on Facebook, Google, you know, all these channels, you know, yeah. uh, the, the sort of largest funded competitor can beat you out, right? You know, they right. can sort of you know pump in more money. So that's yeah. pretty interesting that, you know, even with lesser capital, you can probably innovate there exactly. along with the comeback and maybe, you know, still try win and, you know, sort of be maybe the, Sort of challenger as well. That's an interesting yeah. table. Uh, yeah. And another thing, Abhirup is you know so as a sort of a you know founder as well as investor, you've seen multiple sides of the table, right? And we see this you know quite often that you know a lot of startups you know maybe running out of cash, you know having to shut down, etc. So is is it because you know? The running out of the cash the only reason why a lot of startups have to shut down other than you know not having a product market fit this post product market fit right you still run out of cash is it yeah. just because of that or you know are there other mistakes also founder make often uh, because yeah. a lot of times we've heard right you know running out of cash is one of the common sort of reasons uh, are yeah. there other reasons or this is the only one and if that is it uh, why do founders you know not try and
1: avoid that you know uh, any any take on that Sure, so see, I think uh, while I definitely agree that running out of cash is the biggest reason, and happy to talk more about like how we have thought about it also in the past, uh, but uh, there could be more reasons also. So for example, I've seen startups shutting down because of co-founder issues. The co-founders don't really get along very uh, well, right? Or because of like uh, not getting to product market fit, as you mentioned. So uh, there could be multiple reasons why a startup fails, uh, but running out of cash is definitely one of the biggest ones. Uh, and I think, uh, so, I'll just go back to the fact that, you know, in my opinion, there are two ways to build a startup. Uh, I think one way is what I call the go big or go home approach, in which you try to grow rapidly, you are going all in, and either you have a small odd of a big outcome uh, or you basically go bust, right? That is basically one way to play this game. Uh, The second way to play this game is to go big gradually without risking going home, right? Uh, and in that approach, you can build like really long-term, enduring businesses uh, without really taking a lot of pressure of like short-term growth and all of that. right? Uh, picking which game to play uh, is a function of multiple things. It's a function yeah. of the idea that you're working on. It's a, it's a function of your own ambition and your own preference. It's a function of the competitive intensity in the market that you're playing in. And it's also a function of whether a short-term growth can lead to like long-term competitive advantages or not. right? So uh, it's about picking the right game to play. Uh, I would say that while uh, it's not a good idea that for you are like trying to grow very fast and then you run out of cash and then you shut down, but what also may not work out is that you are operating in a very competitive market and you are like very slow to it. Other people are able to dominate it and hence while you may not uh, shut down the business, but you will end up with a business which is not as big as what you could have built if you're more aggressive, right? So, and basically taking that decision is hard that which game to play. Do you want to uh, play the go big or go home game or do you want to build an enduring business gradually uh, based upon multiple factors they talked about? That call is hard and that's why I think people keep on like taking, trying to balance between the two based upon capital availability also. And that leads to the kind of outcomes that we see in the press. Got it. And
0: Abhirut, so, you know, between both of these, right? While the go big, go home approach, right? Not every idea, every market business, you know, might have that kind of outcome right probably 10-20% you know you could sort of share your thoughts and rest of them you know might be where you better off you know raising a sort of a you know a sustainable sort of you know capital you know you build long term you know over decades probably right most of those ideas is that the case or you know you can have go big go approach in a lot of businesses is it sort of more like maybe 50-60% of those you know businesses can sort of grow too fast and you know dominate those markets etc. No, I
1: see. So I think uh, that that share is even, even lower than the 10-20% that you talked about. Right? I think the share of businesses which are uh, better suited for the Go Big or Go Home game uh, mm-hmm. would be uh, less than a single percentage in my opinion. And I'll tell you why, right? Because see, I think in the entire universe of tech-first companies also, all the e-commerce and D2C brands that we also track, that we also fund, uh, VCs probably end up funding 1% of them. So already they apply a filter on which they believe can really become big, can become unicorns eventually, right? That anyway is like 1% of the entire universe. And even in that 1% of the VC funded companies, the failure rate is very high. So uh, a vast majority of even those companies will end up failing, and a few of them will will really end up becoming like very large companies, right? Uh, So uh, there is a big difference in what the reality is in terms of uh, what results can that game deliver uh, versus what people perceive it to be, right? Yeah. And I think that's what leads to these, these calls going wrong quite often. So that's in a way the change that we are trying to, to bring in India. We, we we really want to support people who are building a bootstrap, capital efficient kind of a business and which are keen to build like sustainable, enduring businesses, which can become profitable 100, 200, 500 crore companies, which may not become unicorns, but those are still great outcomes for the founders to build absolutely and those could
0: you know, probably take 5 10 years or may- maybe even decades right. but you can get to that outcome rather than going bust you know uh, and like exactly. you're saying, you are saying not know, every business sort of can be that you know go big go home so you're rather yeah. better off you know building for the second outcome unless you are in a very sort of fast growing you know a very exciting yeah. market you know maybe 1% yeah. or less than that right uh, yeah. that's that's an interesting take um, right. So, one more thing, Abhirup, you mentioned previously is, you know, uh, at TaskBob, right, the kind of investors, you know, you sort of raised, you know, you associated with them for years and decades, right, while you're building that business. And yeah. there was this, you know, uh, you know, tweet that got viral sometime back where Anand Lunia, he mentions that, you know, you should be very cautious of the color of capital that you're raising because... Yeah. Capital is right now abundant out there in the market, right? Um, Absolutely. So talking about that, right, how does that change the outcome, which is, you know, uh, the kind of investors you're raising from, you know, are they aligned with you? How does that change the outcome for your startup? And second is, Uh, Does capital, in fact, you know, uh, change the outcome of a startup in a positive or can it also have a negative outcome as well, right? If you're raising too much capital and things like that. So what sort of impact does raising capital have and the kind of capital that you're raising all of this, uh, you know, impact on the outcomes of your startup, positive, negative, both of them? Absolutely. So I'll
1: take both questions one by one. First is about the color of the money. And I I did not really... uh, Uh, like think much about it in my previous startup but I realized that you know that is actually true and that is something that all the founders should care about. I would actually go to the extent of saying that you know even if the kind of valuation, the kind of capital uh, etc. is is better in a particular term sheet uh, but you are not that strongly aligned with the investors then you should go with something which is lower valuation, lower capital, etc. also right Uh, and I've seen founders often make this mistake that they Try to compare on the hard parameters which can be compared which is like how much capital, what is the valuation, what is the dilution and things like that. But it is the softer things which matter a lot more. Uh, So I think uh, a few things that people should look for uh, when they take this call is that first of all, uh, as I mentioned, they should do a ref check. Uh, They should particularly talk to companies which did not work out in their portfolio, right? Because how they uh, handled and how they behaved in those scenarios uh, will tell you a lot about both the pros and cons of working in an industry like that, right? I think second is that you should... Try to uh, work with investors who are high conviction. Uh, there's a lot of hot money coming to the system, which is basically looking for short-term returns. But building a company is a hard long-term process, right? So you need to figure out that you know you are obviously operating and building a company with a high degree of conviction. Do the investors also share that conviction or not? Or are they in it because it's a hot deal right now? Because when the times are bad, then they will also lose their conviction as quickly, if that is not the case, right? So, so that becomes very important. Uh, and I think that is something that I have definitely learned. Uh, we are very fortunate to have Alar Ventures as the lead investors in the current company. And it was sort of an 8 to 9 month process over which they built their conviction, they understood the market, they built a point of view on us as a team also. And that really led to a very good alignment of what we are really trying to do in the long term. right? And I think that matters a lot. Uh, so that is there. Uh, what is the second question Nitya? Uh,
0: the so second question was: Does raising capital change your, you know, outcome in a either a positive or negative way? Does it have an impact on the outcome as well? Right, raising yeah. capital, too much capital, the size of round, dilution, all of That's this. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, I think the answer is yes. So, I think the pro of raising a capital, and I did speak with a bunch of people who were bootstrapped earlier and who then raised equity capital, and I was trying to understand from them that what has really changed for them after the equity round, right? Yeah. and i think one thing which everyone talks about is that it gives them uh the leeway to not really uh, worry about short term survival uh, but take like the right medium to long term decisions right uh, if you don't really have uh, equity capital then you are operating on a very small buffer and hence you are constantly trying to solve for like the monthly payroll and all of that right uh, if you have some leeway you get some buffer and hence you can afford to take the right calls in the medium to long term in that sense, I think raising some capital is good, uh, but at the same time, uh, the counter of that is also bad, excess of everything is bad, including capital. Uh, because big capital will come with big expectations uh, and the if you are like, trying to raise too much money too early, uh, then it will come with expectations on growth, on the size of the outcome, etc. And hence, you might not really get the kind of leeway you had earlier to make mistakes, to be iterative and to have that gradual discovery process going. right. So that's the counter side of it that if you raise too much capital, you will be like running uh, at the top speed. You, You will have like high expectations to meet, and you may not really get multiple shots at making the mistake and learning from it.
0: Got it. Got it. And Abhirup, you mentioned that, you know, with Valar Ventures, it was like a eight, nine month process, right? That's a long process. Uh, yeah. Probably some businesses or startups, they don't have that sort of, you know, uh, time on their side as well, right? Because they need mm-hmm. to sort of raise a round and, you know, move to the next stage, etc. Uh, yeah. So, you know, sort of probably you had that benefit, right? You know, sort of your time on your mm-hmm. side, uh, do sort of all startups, can they optimize for that, right? Or, you know, should they then sort of optimize for time versus the kind of, you know, uh, investors they are bringing on board.
1: Sure. So the 8-9 month process that I am talking about Nitya, it involved capital commitments across multiple phases. So see, okay. uh, across every round, Valar was the fastest to move. Uh, whenever we discussed fundraise, they were like immediate to react. Uh, okay. But they started with a very small position initially. Uh, they had initially participated in our seed round, which was a very small round and they had only taken a tracking position in that. Then when we raised the next round, they doubled down on that. And then more recently uh, in November last month when we raised a twenty million round, it was again led by Valar, right? So it was basically a small tracking position which kept on improving, and I think that's a good way because the investor also keeps on increasing the conviction that they have. Uh, that said, I think uh, founders should definitely, uh, I mean, founders definitely value investors who can move fast, right? Uh, yeah. and I think that leads to that kind of a dichotomy that you know, is the investor moving fast because they just want to get in or because they're coming in with a high degree of conviction. And I think the work required on the investor side, which uh, is also a role that I have played, is that even before the deal happens, you need to be ready with your answer, right? You need to be clear of the market. You need to be clear of the opportunity. You need to be tracking a bunch of teams. You need to be able to move very quickly when the right deal arises. And basically that's what leads to a combination of being high conviction as well as being fast. Interesting. And uh, one more thing
0: that you mentioned, Abhirup, was you know one of the reasons sometimes startups shut down is because of co-founder issues, etc. Right? How yeah. did you find your set of co-founders when you were start, starting Velocity? Uh, yeah. right? Uh, and sort of how can founders avoid those kind of mistakes as well? Because those are probably not the, the best ones that you can have, other reasons, but that's not the one you would want to have. I mean, it's far
1: too common, I think. Uh, uh, I mean, every month I hear a few cases of uh, teams not working out because of co-founder conflicts. And I think the uh, the the learning or the reason for that is that even being a co-founder is a long-term relationship, right? Yeah. And you don't get into a relationship uh, blindly, right? Uh, so I, I strongly believe that when you start a company, it's highly likely that you already know your co-founder. Your co-founder should ideally come from your existing networks. They should be people that you trust. They should be people who you have worked with. And all of you should have a very good equation working with each other. You should know the uh, the good side as well as the bad side of the person you are working with. And that becomes very important to be doubly sure of right? And I think for that reason, co-founder dating platforms are not really taken off it because it's not a blind date which can be arranged and then you basically end up starting a company together. You typically should start a company with people who you have a high degree of trust and comfort with. Uh, and ideally people who have a strong history of working together with a very good working equation. Uh, across both the companies that, uh, that I started at least that was the case. I started Taskbar with a close friend from college uh, who is Asim Khare. And we we had been very close friends. We had worked on multiple projects together. And then we had been in touch even after college. Uh, Even at Velocity right now, uh, both of my co-founders, Atul and uh, Mm Saurav, they were part of the top team at Taskbar. So uh, at Taskbar, Atul was heading operations, Saurav was heading technology. Uh, And building a startup is like going on a war, right? So you've been through ups and downs of the entire journey of building a startup and that leads to a very good working equation so that was a great starting point for me in the company right now interesting so basically you're
0: saying that building a company is sort of you know uh, uh, years and decades right so you choose the people you want to work with you know your, your co-founders the core team and the investors all of them who are sort of aligned with you for that you know the long term yeah. because in between if there are you know some issues it
1: will just it might lead to bad outcomes or you know not good absolutely technology. absolutely so i think I think having that long-term mindset is very important. We should not approach building a startup with a two or three-year kind of a mindset. You uh, should think at least a decade, if not more, right? And all of your key decisions across picking the right co-founders, picking the right investors uh, should be governed with that long-term mindset that you really see yourself working with these guys over the next decade or not, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: And right now so even in the current market Abhiru uh, there is probably some abundance of capital even say for d2c startups and brands right you are saying you know uh, you know you can build different companies and outcomes in d2c but we still see you know d2c startups raising a lot of equity capital is that something which is advisable you know you, you said you work with 300 more than 300 companies d2c especially yeah. uh, right yeah. what's your sort of thoughts on those yeah so see i think uh,
1: The biggest uh, thing that Venture Capital has done well, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. over the multiple decades of VC as an asset class existing, is that they have built a very strong hype and narrative around it. Right? It is is cool and sexy to raise Venture Capital. And I think that's the change that we are trying to bring in. We are trying to educate the market in saying that, you know, while it's good to have some Venture Capital, some buffer, uh, but it's also a very expensive source for you, which comes with a lot of expectations which also comes in with you giving away control of the company that you're trying to build, right? So, I have had multiple discussions with the founders that we work with about this. And mm-hmm. in the right context, I also proactively help them to raise venture capital. I actively connect them with the VCs that I know of, right? Uh, but I think uh, it's important to understand that venture capital is not free. It, it, it comes with you giving away the most prized asset that you're building, which is the value of your equity. Uh, and I think because there is no short-term repayment, people assume that, you know, this is something which is Good, uh, but it is actually much more expensive in the long term, which more and more people are over time realizing. Uh, so uh, in that sense, I believe that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you could, could raise equity capital based upon the business you're building, based upon the kind of risk and the uncertainty of the outcomes that you're going after. But across the vast majority of use cases, particularly in, in the D2C and e-commerce space, right, close to 70% of the spends of a 2 c or e-commerce business is across marketing plus working capital. right. Uh, yeah. And I think that seventy percent should not be funded by equity capital. It should be funded by by capital which is like much more friendly, in which you are not giving away control, in which you get to govern the way you want to grow the business yourselves, right? Uh, and that's what we are trying to build at velocity in right honestly interesting and you
0: you mentioned you work with sort of 300 and more sort of companies and brands right uh, so yeah. you know in experience working with you know some of these uh, right at what stage you know they might be you know or time you know would be right for them to maybe look at uh, you know a, a growth financing revenue based financing or yeah. a external equity round, maybe a venture round, etc, right? At what sure. stage scale, you know, maybe in terms of revenue, you know, product market fit, some of these specifically from sure. a D2C perspective, because non-D2C, right? You know, you're building for a large outcome, you know, network effects, etc. Those things are pretty clear. But for a D2C space, you know, how, how do you think about this? What's the, you know, experience you've seen working with these multiple
1: brands? Sure. So, see, I think most, most D2C businesses uh, should not... End up raising uh, equity capital in my opinion and I think that's a controversial opinion that's an unpopular opinion I'm sure uh, but I have reasons to believe that because see I think it, it's not going to be a good outcome for both the founder as well as the VC uh, if you like raise too much equity right because if you raise too much equity you are constantly trying to build a very large outcome which uh, may or may not happen right as I mentioned earlier uh, it is like less than one percent of the cases which are best suited for equity capital right uh, but vast majority of the people should therefore focus on building a great, enduring, long-term business, which can be a 100, 200, 300 crore business. It's immense opportunity in India right now to build like a direct-to-consumer business right now. But raising equity might not be setting you up for success in that game. Uh, I believe that the right stage for you to consider raising some equity, uh, which could be an angel or a friends and family round, is basically when you get started because you need some capital to get started um, and. Uh, at that early stage, basically, angel capital can help you build like the right product, figure out the right market and all of that. But yes. once you have like uh, built a good product, which is gaining some traction, uh, once you have at least six months of history that we look for, right? uh, at Velocity, we look for at least six months of revenue history, based upon which we can try and understand what the uh, going forward scenario is going to be for your business. Uh, mm-hmm. Then you can just use revenue-based financing to accelerate the business. It's a... It's a very convenient and fast source of capital for you in which you don't really have to dilute your equity and give away the control of the business while having the complete flexibility of paying it back as a share of your revenues. Right? Got
0: it. And another thing that you mentioned was, you know, there's no reason for you to sort of raise capital for your, you know, inventory, OPEC, uh, you know, uh, OPEX, as well as, you know, marketing uh, from equity, right? You can rather raise debt or, you know, revenue-based finance. And in in that as well, right? uh, So when you're sort of raising revenue-based finance or, you know, equity, how do you deploy that well as well, you know, like what places you can deploy, you know, whether it's equity, uh, where you should deploy equity rightly, and you know where you should deploy revenue-based financing, and how much you should deploy as well, what percentage of your revenues or you know finance that you've raised, that you're not over
1: deploying and you sort of you know bu- you know sort of spreading too thin as well, right? In those cases. Sure. Sure. So see, I think uh, particularly if I talk about the context of D2C and e-commerce brands, which is the segment that we exclusively focus on, uh, then uh, it's important to maintain the capital efficiency of the business, in my opinion, because uh, it should not be the case that. Uh, the market turns, the equity capital dries up in the market, and then you have sort of loaded up your cost base and you're dependent upon the funding happening, uh, because then you will be left high and dry, right? Uh, So it is therefore important to increase your cost gradually uh, and to use uh, uh, a disciplined way of capital, which is revenue-based financing, to fund your day-to-day working capital spends. So I think uh, in terms of the typical spends of an e-commerce business or a D2C business, if you're working on like R&D, product development, uh, if you are working on building some technology platform, etc., mm-hmm. uh, equity capital might be a good source of funding for that because uh, you are not sure of the outcomes. You are taking some risk, etc., uh, and you may not expect any payback in the short term, right? But for the core of your business, which is basically the marketing, which is working capital, uh, that is a more predictable part of your business because you know that for every dollar that you are spending in marketing, you could be generating two point five to three dollars of returns, right? Uh, And for every dollar which is being spent in inventory, based upon your gross margin, you could be generating $2 of revenue. Uh, So, if you have that prediction cycle established clearly, then Mm -hmm. it makes a lot more sense to to use revenue based financing for that. And hence, I believe that close to 60, 70% of the business spends should be funded through revenue based financing. Uh, Only when you are making some experiments which are more long term in nature, which can potentially lead to disproportionate returns, but which may not have any short term payback, those are the spends that you should. And
0: leverage uh, equity capital for it. got it and in terms of your say marketing spends as well right sometimes we see businesses spending a little more on marketing so what percentage of your monthly or annual revenue you should be spending if you're a d2c brand you should be spending on marketing and you know basically your experience working with these brands or you know what's your take on that right So that you because currently we also hear that you know the ad spends you know the CAC, you know all of those are rising too fast so then you know you need to balance between your you know growth as well as you know spending too much right so where do you draw that line what percentage of your revenue is is it okay to you know be spending on you know sort of you know ads and you
1: know acquisition etc Sure. So see, it's a function of the stage of the company and it's a function of the sector that you're working in. So Mm -hmm. it's a grid like that. I think when you're early, then obviously you will have to do some experiments. At that time, your revenue itself is going to be slow. And hence, even if you are keeping some experiment budget, your marketing spend as a share of your revenue is going to be high. Uh, And I think that is okay because you will have some leeway that, you know, uh, at least for the next six months or nine months, I will be basically trying multiple things and then trying to build a predictable cycle here. After you pass that phase, uh, then what is the right percentage of revenues uh, in your category that becomes important and I think we like to think it as as a function of the gross margins of your category, right? uh, Because finally, I think the objective of a D2C business should be to become contribution margin positive. Uh, So in in categories which are high gross margins, which are category like health supplements, personal care, cosmetics, and to a good extent apparels also, uh, you can sort of uh, operate with ROAs of 2x also, 2.5x also, and those are good ROAS. Uh, but in low gross margin categories, which are like food and beverages, and then consumer electronics, etc. there your ROAS better be good. Uh, because yeah. anyway, if you are making like a 30% gross margin, then that should be the upper cap of what you potentially can spend on your marketing, right? Because you finally have to be contribution margin positive. And hence, I believe that, you know, uh, the, the right amount of marketing spends a share of revenue should be driven by the sector that you are operating in and the gross
0: margins of your product, therefore. Got it. Yeah, that does make sense, right? How much, sort of, you know, what space you're operating and what's the competition like, as well as, you know, what sort of, you know, gross margins that you have. Um, And just a follow-on question on this, right? um, You mentioned about a bunch of these things and metrics. Uh, So, at what stage of the business, you know, uh, should a D2C brand focus on, say, being a contribution margin positive, uh, being, say, cash flow positive, being profitable and, you know, breaking even as well, right? Uh, So, say, maybe you're starting off today at what state scale, you know, you should start thinking about this, so that You know, you're building sort of a long-term business and, you know, focus on those as well and you're not sort of burning too much as well, right? You know, uh, not having a contribution margin. Maybe first year or first six months, is it okay to have a negative contribution margin? Uh, yeah. As, as you grow, right? How, how that changes, you
1: know? So, yeah, initially when you go, uh, when you get started, your initial period will be negative contribution margin because you don't really have things figured out, right? So, and that is okay because you do need that time to like figure out the right marketing means, the right products, uh, the right suppliers and all of that, right? All of these evolve initially, right? But I think the first goal for the business should be to build a product which is creating a pool, right? So, you should not worry too much about Uh, get into profitability earlier but you should have a product which is a differentiated product which comes into the unique story and which is like creating a pull from the customer. So that should be the first focus. Once you have that, then I think the focus should be on rapidly growing that business Uh, and as you basically grow that business you will need the capital for marketing as well as inventory needs which is what we fund. After that growth period, I think eventually the goal of every business is to get to profitability. Uh, But in case you're building a business, which you want to be a large business, I think that should be the cycle that, you know, initially the first period should be to, the north star for that period should be customer satisfaction, should be the fact that, you know, people absolutely love your product. If you have that, if your margins are broadly making sense, you then accelerate the business uh, uh, using revenue based financing to try and grow your top line and eventually based upon the size of the outcome that you believe is possible in your category, you try to move towards profitability.
0: Got it. And with regard to say, you know, being CM positive, right, uh, uh, what stage, is it okay, you know, first year, first six months to be sort of negative on you know, start building so. a positive contribution margin or from day yeah. one, you should focus on maybe, or, you know, if you sort of want to focus on growth, maybe second or third year, you start thinking about this. Uh, mm-hmm. When is it, you know, when is the right time or there's no sort of, you know, right answer? Does it depend on the kind of business and category, etc.?
1: So I think, uh, you should try to be positive contribution margin because uh, before you uh, like push the pedal on growth, right? Mm -hmm. So in that initial six months to one year broadly, I think the focus should be to uh, try and figure out the right marketing structure also Uh, because that's what is going to make your business sustainable, right? If you are not contribution margin positive, then with growth, you are losing more and more money increasingly, right? Uh, But if you are contribution margin positive, then Basically, growth will tilt the equation in the right direction for you. Uh, So so I think in that initial six months to one year, you should focus on building a great product and also figuring out how to get to contribution margin positive. Then you should push the pedal on growth uh, and then that's what will take your business to profitability eventually.
0: Makes sense. So you're saying, you know, first six to 12 months, you focus on building the right product, you know, customer satisfaction, etc. As well as figuring out the right marketing channels, you know, positive contribution margin, what's that? Know uh, marketing spends and the other spends you yeah. can afford to do. Once you do that, you know, you probably raise some equity capital, some you know, revenue financing, you know, uh, revenue based yeah. financing, etc., and then you push the pedal. Because if you are Absolutely. CM negative, right, you sort of accelerating in the wrong direction, which is not where you would want yeah. to go. You rather Absolutely. figure that out, take some more
1: time, and then you know, start sort of pushing the pedal. Absolutely, but so uh, I just like to change one comment there that I don't think it is right to put a timeline to it, right, because I think it's possible that some businesses get there in six months and it's perfectly fine for some businesses to take two two and a half years also to get there but i think taking the right decision at that point becomes important that whenever you get there it's only after that that you should start accelerating the business rapidly until that time you should keep things very lean and you should be more iterative in your nature Okay. So you're
0: saying basically, yeah. you know, you know, founders should have a little more patience, you know, not put a lot of pressure of time, say a six yeah. months, twelve months when they're starting, off, exactly. take a little more time, you know, sort of build Absolutely. out that product, you know, customer satisfaction, you know, positive contribution, yeah. yeah, and then think about growing, accelerating, etc., right? Absolutely. And not because at this stage, right, like you know, lot of competition, other founders. You know, you want to look at them. You know, you know, sort of you sort of think that right, okay, you know, let's try and sort of build it a little faster because you don't want to miss yeah. out on the market, etc. But I think then you're saying the best way is to focus on your business, your metrics, and then accordingly absolutely. think about growing, accelerating, especially say in a D two C-, C-, C space where it's not winner take all, right? You can absolutely uh, maybe there can you you know saying there can be multiple brands in a category as well, yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
1: We we at Velocity strongly believe that there will be thousands of brands in India, right? India is anywhere a brand-starved market and there are so many niches emerging. There is a big platform shift which is happening of people spending more time online and there will be lots and lots of new brands which will emerge. And we are building Velocity primarily to power the growth of all of these brands
0: interesting and then are you also seeing you know in this case multiple brands sort of operating in similar spaces or then do they also try and carve out carve out niches to stand out in that market how are that like because you're saying there can be multiple brands in categories yeah.
1: well yeah. how are you seeing that pan out so i think the way to uh, build any business and i would actually go to the extent of saying that it's not just about d2c but it's about building any business is that you start with a very niche and focused segment, right? That, you know, this is the very specifically defined customer that I am building for. And I think that is true for D2C also, that when you get started, you have to be very clear of which is the specific customer segment for which your brand is going to appeal a lot more compared to anything else, right? And I think that's your entry point. Uh, you you initially focus just on building a distinctive value prop for that segment, and at least for that segment, you are the best choice for that customer, right? After you have that sorted, as a segment grows, you will automatically grow with that. But then you can also consider expanding across multiple dimensions. So for the same segment, you can build more products in your portfolio or you can sort of get into adjacent segments also. But those opportunities really open up for you when you have done a good job at uh, building a great product for a very well defined segment initially.
0: Got it. Interesting. So you're saying basically, you know, focus on a niche and you know, sort of you build the best product, go to product for them. Uh, and not sort of compete across segments. You build the best product for a particular segment. You focus and you know sort of you. Yeah. you the Sort of number one, number two brand over there. And then you sort of yeah. start looking at other segments. Or you know sort of other target groups etc. That does make That's sense. And well, just yeah. doing all in you know, you know sort of targeting yeah. across segment Because then you're not the sort of number one, number two brand as well for those. Right. Uh, right. So uh, actually one more point on
1: that one. That you know while that in my opinion and... I have a very strong opinion on this that, you know, this is the right way to build an enduring business is to start small, focus, and build a 10x better product for that segment. More often than not, a story like this will not fly in a VC pitch because VCs will talk about the market size of that segment. And hence they'll say, yeah, this is not really a big segment that you're going after. And then potentially you will not become a very large business. Uh, And that can happen. But I think uh, even if you aspire to build a large business, right? If you start with a very big market on day one, then you will be lost uh, that, you know, who are you really building for, what is the product, what is the problem because there is so much noise in a big market. Uh, but when you define it clearly, then you are able to build a much better experience for that segment to start with.
0: Interesting. And that's why probably, you know, stories like Mamath also come in, right, where they started as a niche brand and today sort of they're a very large, you know, VC funded Absolutely. brand do you see yeah. those kind of stories also happening then where you start with a niche but you have sort of you crack the product and distribution so well that you know your market yeah. automatically expands and you become maybe like a vc fundable business of large outcome as well you know those stories can can those also happen in d2c like many so more stories like you know, so i think uh, um,
1: vc's get the total addressable market size wrong all the time right uh, and i think that's also very difficult to to, to sort of uh, project and predict what the TAM for a particular market is going to be. And uh, internally, in our leadership team also we joke about that there is only one limiting factor to the TAM of a company, uh, which is the ambition of the founder. I mean, if you want to build a large business, then eventually there are multiple axes on which you will expand, right? Uh, so it's it's wrong to like only talk about the current product and the current market and try and estimate TAM based upon that. But if the founder and the team is really ambitious, and they have a way, they have an approach in which they can build a predictable way to grow the market. It can potentially be a very last time and I think, uh, as you mentioned, Mama's is a great example in that sense. That initially when they started, they had a very clear, well-defined niche and they had a very clear positioning of better quality products for moms and babies. Uh, but and I think that led to a great early adoption, that led to their brand being built, that led to uh, people like, talking about it actively and all of that, right? Uh, that's what leads to distribution and basically once you have distribution you can add more products and keep on growing the revenues of the business absolutely yeah.
0: no that's an interesting take abhirup which you said right like you know it's only the hunger and the uh, hunger of the team and the founders that you know the outcomes can be you can start with a small market and TAM and then you know keep going into adjacent markets and you know keep expanding yeah. other than that yeah. you also think that you know how's your brand's approach as well right you start with a brand and a niche and then you open up another market segment, another niche and, you know, sort of, you build a house of brands as well, right? We've seen startups and founders doing that as well these days. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's a very interesting one.
1: And in fact, I think it's, it's easier to to think about these things in retrospect than to think about what will happen going forward. Uh, But if you think about every large business today, right, which is companies like Airbnb, Uber, Shopify, all of these companies, uh, when they started, they started in markets, which were extremely small. And I think it would have been very easy for uh, a venture capitalist to say that, you know, these are markets which are going to be very small markets. What are you really doing in that market? But because they focus on a niche, because they built a great product for that, market also expanded and then they also expanded into adjacent markets. And, And I think that's what led to the great outcomes that we see there.
0: Makes sense. And just one last question, Abhiru, before we throw it open for the audience questions is um, So if we look at the D two C space in U S. Right, and, and the West, uh, we've seen you know some brands like Casper and Allbirds etc. Which have been sort of you know uh, the VC darlings, and then today where they are, you know, it's probably not the best position. Uh, mm-hmm. So what's your thoughts and take on what's what has been happening in the D two C space in in U S and do you see that happening in india as well or you know in india brands and founders are much more cautious outcomes will be different here
1: yeah so, so i think the the miscalculation in a few of those examples that you mentioned nitya was that uh, vc started expecting uh, typical uh, tech venture capital kind of returns in the d2c market uh, and that is uh, extremely rare in my opinion uh, to to sort of achieve that right uh, and i think that's what leads to overcapitalization of the companies, that's what leads to uh, the companies also ramping up their cost base, not being capital efficient. And then finally having outcomes which are not great for anyone. Uh, so see, uh, there is a use case for venture capital in the D2C space, uh, but I think VCs also should not expect uh, them to become like a $200 billion business or a $100 billion business. I think there can be sizable businesses created, uh, VCs can put in like a few million dollars, expect like 10x out of that over a time frame. Uh, But that expectation needs to be set that way, right? That, you know, this is the kind of profile of this business. And in a VC portfolio, also, you can have a mix, right? You can have a few moonshots, which will potentially become unicorns. And you will have a few companies which don't really have that higher chance of failure if the team is executing well. But they will also not become 100x, probably. They will become 8x or 10x, which is also good, right? Uh, So I think that that expectation needs to be set very clearly. and I think uh, the market is maturing based upon the learnings globally, right? so I think uh, uh, while there is interest in this space because a lot of brands are getting started by great people and uh, uh, and a lot of brands are going to get traded in India, I strongly believe that uh, a lot of a vast majority of these brands will become like good 100-200 crore businesses but may not become the kind of returns that VC expect right now out of the tech investments that they make
0: got it got it yeah so we'll throw it up for questions apilu just so there are a couple of questions i'll just summarize them uh, quickly you know for you to answer is sure. you know so th- those are around say you know rbf and velocity etc how does that work out and sort sure. of what's the process like you know people were li- little curious on that also sure
1: so i'll i'll take an example to describe what velocity does right so i think we we do uh, yeah. a new kind of way to fund your business which is called revenue based financing uh, the unique innovation here is that you know instead of paying us back uh, as a fixed EMI which banks typically come with, you will agree on a revenue share and hence in case your top line dips, you will automatically end up paying us back lower in that month uh, in case the business grows th- then also you have to wear the fixed share of the revenue that we have agreed upon. right? Uh, so a typical offer that we make would include three things it will include the amount of capital that we provide, it will mm-hmm. include the fixed fee that we charge on that and it will include a revenue share that is a the, the modality through which you will basically repay us, right? So, uh, if for example, we fund you one crore of capital, uh, we could be charging a fixed fee of let's say 6% on that. Mm-hmm. And let's say we agree on a revenue share of 10%. Uh, then basically what that means is that you will keep on sharing 10% of your revenue until the time you have paid us back one crore, six lakhs. If you have deployed one crore initially. So yeah. we end up making at six lakhs on the transaction. And basically that is the revenue model that we have. Uh, but uh, through this process, pe- uh, uh, people can raise this capital up front uh, and people can deploy that money into their marketing or working capital needs. Uh, to talk about uh, how the process works, it's a very uh, straightforward and seamless online process. Uh, we are primarily taking our decision based upon uh, the digital data that you have, which is, I think, a great asset for online businesses. Uh, we plug into the online data sources that you have uh, and we build a transparent point of view on your revenues, the stability of the revenues, the cyclicity of the business and things like that. And based upon that, we finalize the offer. Uh, it basically starts with a quick online form uh, based upon which you will get a term sheet instantly. Uh, that term sheet will define the amount of capital, the, the fixed fee and the revenue share that you will be bearing. Uh, and then after a quick diligence process, uh, within four to five days, we are able to finalize the offer. And then we can proceed for a deployment after that. Uh, uh, so all that people need to do is that they need to go to velocity.in and they can begin the application process from there.
0: Got it. And what kind of brands or, you know, what stage are they able to raise sort of RBF? Right, you know, what's the right sure. majority
1: or stage for them? Sure. So we look for at least 10 lakhs of monthly revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the starting point. Uh, because we believe that before that stage, people are still sort of figuring out their marketing cycles, figuring out their uh, inventory cycles, etc. Uh, mm-hmm. But there is no upper limit. So we do work with brands which are doing 8 to 10 crores of monthly revenue also. Uh, okay. So uh, it's a fairly wide zone. And we need at least six months of your prior revenue data uh, to build a point of view on the stability of revenue and things like that. Uh, So if you have a six month of revenue history with an average revenue of 10 lakhs per month also, uh, then we will be very glad to initiate the process for you. And then take it to closure very quickly.
0: Understood. Thank you. Thank you so much Abhiro for for taking out time. I'll just quickly summarize the session. Right, where you talked about, you know, uh, the kind of capital you should be raising, when and why you should raise or no, why not you should raise it, depending on whether you're building a large outcome, you know, like a go-home go outcome or, you know, uh, probably a long-term sustainable business where alternative options like, you know, raising lesser equity, you know, RBF, all of these can become sort of helpful. And especially yeah. in a D2C kind of a space where... You know, you don't necessarily need to think about say building a d- unicorn from day one, right? You start with right. a, a a small niche and build a strong, you know, sort of product for them. And then you start, you know, expanding the market okay. stand, and, cetera, and then true. see whether you're probably able to achieve a very large outcome like a unicorn or, or maybe like a hundred crore, 500 crore business as well. Right? Um, yeah. Absolutely. That's, yeah. That's a great summary. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thanks so much, Abhirup, uh, for taking our time. We enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much.
1: Absolutely. Thanks a lot for having me, Nitya. Pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah. Bye-bye.
1: Have a good day. Bye. Take care.